0: Welcome to the podcast. This is Hypochondriac Salmanac and I'm very excited to be recording for you guys again. We are doing fewer episodes so that I can focus more on some other projects I've been working on, but I'm happy to be back and providing another new episode. And this one, because of the popularity of an earlier episode that we did on it, we're gonna do another one. And this one is gonna deal with bum 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 constipation which is a tricky topic. And I think most people avoid chatting about it because it can be embarrassing or uncomfortable for a lot of people. And some people don't even want to acknowledge it at all. But we're going to chat about it on the show today and kind of talk about some things that I do to combat it in my own life. But before we get started, I want to talk about a few little disclaimers. First and foremost, we're not doctors, nurses, or medical professionals of any kind on this podcast. Please don't take what I say on the show as medical advice. I'm not trying to treat, diagnose, or fix any of your medical conditions. If you have an issue, please see a doctor. Don't guess or take what we say on the show as a diagnostic tool. We just want to talk about all the fun, weird, and wild parts of the medical field in the past, present, and the future. Let's jump right in. Um, Constipation is something that I think a good portion of us suffer from. And I just want to kind of shed a little bit of light on it. Constipation is defined medically as fewer than three stools per week, and severe constipation is less than one stool per week. Some of the symptoms of constipation include lower abdominal discomfort, a sense of incomplete evacuation, or that feeling that you still have to go after a bowel movement, straining to have a bowel movement, hard or small stools, rectal bleeding and or anal fissures caused by hard stools, psychological distress, and or obsession with having bowel movements, which who hasn't experienced one of these things at some point or another? What causes constipation? Constipation usually is caused by the slow movement of material through the colon into the large bowel. Two disorders can typically cause constipation, colonic inertia, and pelvic floor dysfunction. There are many causes and associations with constipation, for example, medications, poor bowel habits, low fiber diets, abusive laxatives, hormonal disorders, diseases in other parts of the body that affect the colon, high levels of estrogen, and progesterone during pregnancy can also create constipation. What are the signs and symptoms of constipation? And I think we all kind of have experienced this at some point or another, but signs can include rectal bleeding and or fissures, which are caused by hard or small stools, lower abdominal discomfort and straining to have a bowel movement. Professionals recommend that you call a doctor or other healthcare professional for treatment for constipation if you have a sudden onset of symptoms that come with severe pain, that worsen or are associated with other symptoms like losing weight. So they want you to see a doctor if you experience those things, but tests to diagnose the cause of constipation can include a medical history, physical examination, blood tests, abdominal x-rays, enemas, colonic transit studies, and various other things that doctors can do to try to determine what is causing the slowdown in your internal organ. So essentially constipation means different things for different people. For some people, it simply means infrequent passage of stool. For others, it means hard stools or difficulty passing them, or straining when you poo, or a sense of incomplete emptying after-bowel movement. The cause of each of these can vary, so the approach to each should be tailored to a specific patient. Constipation can also alternate with diarrhea. This pattern commonly occurs as part of irritable bowel syndrome, or IBS, and at the extreme end of the spectrum for its fecal impaction, which is when the stool hardens in the rectum and prevents passage, although occasionally diarrhea may occur, even with the obstruction due to colonic fluid leaking around the impacted stool. The number of bowel movements generally decreases with age. Most adults have what is considered normal between 3 and 21 times per week. The most common pattern is one bowel movement a day, but this pattern is seen in less than one half of individuals. Moreover, most people have irregular movements and don't have bowel movements every day or the same number every day. Medically speaking, constipation usually is defined as fewer than three bowel movements per week. Severe constipation is defined as less than one bowel movement per week, and there's no medical reason to have one bowel movement every day. Going without one for two or three days does not cause physical discomfort, only mental distress in some people. Contrary to popular belief, there is no evidence that toxins accumulate when movements are infrequent or that constipation leads to cancer, unless it is a long-term thing. It's important to distinguish acute, which is recent-onset constipation, from chronic constipation, which is long-term. Acute constipation requires urgent assessment because a serious medical illness could be the underlying cause, for example, tumors in the colon. They also require immediate assessment if... Constipation is accompanied by symptoms like rectal bleeding, abdominal pain, cramps, nausea, and vomiting, and involuntary weight loss. The evolution of chronic constipation may not be urgent, particularly if simple measures bring relief. So, when should you seek medical care for chronic constipation? If the main problem is straining to push the stool out, chronic constipation should be evaluated early. This difficulty might be due to pelvic floor dysfunction, and the treatment of choice is biofeedback training, not. Laxatives. If it is not responding to the simple measures discussed previously with the addition of milk of magnesia or other laxatives or fibers, it's time to consult a doctor. They may also refer you to a gastroenterologist, which can evaluate constipation frequently and is very familiar with diagnostic testing. So, what causes constipation? Theoretically, constipation can be caused by the slow passage of digesting foods through any part of the digestive system. Most of the time, however, the process of slowing occurs in the colon. Medications are frequently overlooked as a cause of constipation. Common medications that can cause people to be constipated include narcotic pain medications, codeine, Tylenol, Oxycodone, Percocet, a lot of antidepressants, Many other drugs can cause constipation. Simple measures can be used to treat constipation, for example, like increasing fiber intake in the diet or taking a stool softener. If constipation is caused by a medication, talk to your doctor about discontinuing that medication or switching to something different. If simple measures don't work, it may be possible to substitute a less constipating medication For example, a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drug instead of something heavier. So here are some frequent causes of constipation as well. Habit, bowel movements are under voluntary control. This means the normal urge you feel when you have to go can be suppressed. Although occasionally it is appropriate to suppress an urge to defecate, for example, when a bathroom is not available, doing this too frequently can lead to a disappearance of urges and result in constipation. Diet. Fiber is important in maintaining a soft, bulky stool, therefore, eating foods low in fiber can cause constipation. The best natural sources of fiber are fruits and vegetables and whole grains. Laxatives. You wouldn't think that, but one suspected cause of severe constipation is over the counter use of stimulant laxatives like senna, castor oil, and some herbs. An association has been shown between the chronic use of these products and damage to the nerves and muscles of the colon, possibly resulting in the condition. It's not clear whether the products have caused the damage or whether the damage existed prior to the use of them. Nevertheless, because of the possibility that stimulant products can damage the colon, most experts recommend that they be used only as a last resort after non-stimulant products have failed. Hormonal Disorders Hormones can affect bowel movements. For example, too little thyroid hormone, hypothyroidism, and too much parathyroid hormone, by raising the calcium levels in the blood, can also cause constipation. At the time of a woman's menstrual period, estrogen and progesterone levels are high. However, this is rarely a prolonged condition. High levels of estrogen and progesterone during pregnancy can also cause constipation, which is why you hear horror stories about pregnant women being constipated. And I think it's probably pretty common. So if you have severe constipation, doctors are first going to look at your medical history. And there are many tests that can help diagnose severe constipation, although I think most people pretty much know when they're constipated and what it is. But Doctors can take your medical history and do a physical examination to allow them to define the type of constipation that you're suffering from and uncover any supplements or prescription products that are causing any of the health problems you're having. For example, if defecation is painful, the doctor knows how to look for anal problems like a narrowed anal sphincter or an anal fissure. If small stools are the problem, eating foods low in fiber may be the cause. If the patient is experiencing significant straining, then pelvic floor dysfunction is likely. So they're going to take this history, evaluate it, give you a physical examination, perhaps do some blood tests, x-rays, enemas, etc. to find out what is really going on with your body and to try to determine a plan to try to figure out how to fix it. Treatments. There are several principles in approaching the evaluation and treatment of constipation. And the first principle is to differentiate between acute, which is recent onset constipation, and chronic, which is long-term constipation. Thus, with acute constipation or constipation that is worsening, it's necessary to assess the cause early so as to not overlook a serious illness that could and should be treated urgently. Start treatment early of constipation and use the treatments that have the least potential for harm, which will prevent constipation from worsening, and will also prevent potential damage to the colon that can be caused by frequent use of stimulant products. Doctors also want to know when it's time to evaluate the cause of chronic constipation. Evaluation for the cause of chronic constipation needs to be done if there's no response to the simple treatments. Natural home remedies to relieve and treat constipation. Don't suppress the urge to defecate, folks. I know it's a weird topic. We don't talk about it often, and there are a lot of people out there that don't want to go poo when they're at work, and it is what it is. When the urge comes, you need to find a toilet. You can also determine if there are drugs that you're taking that could be contributing to your constipation and see if these can be discontinued or changed, Increase the fiber in your diet by consuming a lot more fruits, vegetables, and whole grains. I know that it's challenging in these busy and crazy times to get all those into your diet, but this could effectively treat your constipation. So do not hesitate to take fiber supplements as well. Wheat bran, psyllium, etc. Use increasing amounts of fiber and or change the type of fiber consumed until there is a satisfactory result. But here's a caveat, folks. Don't expect Fiber to work overnight. You have to allow a few weeks for trials to try to determine what is the best for you and what works best with your body. If you are experiencing significant cramps and discomfort from using a particular type of fiber, don't use it. It's just that simple. Use something else that's a little better. And granted, when you're taking fiber in higher amounts for the first couple of times, it's going to take a while for your body to adjust as well, especially if you've been constipated for a while. What if constipation does not respond to natural and home remedies? These efforts should not be discontinued, but other measures should be added. If the constipation is due to your menstrual cycle, it probably doesn't matter what other measures are added, whether they're laxatives, enema suppositories, even stimulant laxatives. every four to six weeks are unlikely to damage the colon. Unfortunately, the tendency when using stimulant products is to unconsciously increase the frequency of their use, and before you know it, you're taking them every week, And more often, they become sort of addictive and can cause colonic damage if they're permanently used. Milk of magnesia is the mildest of saline laxatives, is inexpensive, and provides a good alternative. Most patients can adjust the dose of milk of magnesia to soften the stool adequately without developing diarrhea or leakage of stool. Prunes and prune juice are also a good option. These are ones that, you know, the old wives' tales have passed down to us through the years, and they can be used to treat mild constipation. There's no evidence that the mild stimulant effects of prunes or prune juice damage the colon, Stronger stimulant products usually are recommended only as a last resort after non-stimulant treatments have failed. Many people take herbs to treat the problem because they feel more comfortable using a natural product. Unfortunately, though, most of these herbal preparations can contain stimulant products and long-term use raises the possibilities they could also damage your colon. So what kind of high-fiber diet treats constipation? The best way to add this to the diet is increasing the quality of fruits and vegetables that are eaten. This means a minimum of five servings of fruit or vegetables every day. For many people, though, the amount of fruits and vegetables that are necessary may be inconveniently large and may not provide adequate relief from constipation. If this is the case, a fiber supplement is definitely useful and more beneficial. Fiber is defined as material made by plants that is not digested by the human gastrointestinal tract. It's one of the mainstays of treatment, and many types of fiber within the intestine bind to water and keep the water within the intestine. This adds bulk and volume to the stool, and the water softens it. There are many different types of fiber, and the type varies from source to source, but types can be categorized in several ways by their source. The most common sources include fruits and vegetables, wheat or oat bran, psyllium seed, This is Metamucil, Consil, and some others, for example, like Citrusil. So when you're taking these fiber supplements, you should be aware that increased gas is a common symptom and a side effect of high fiber diets. The gas occurs because the bacteria normally present within the colon are capable of digesting fiber to a small extent. The bacteria produce gas as a byproduct of their digestion. All fibers, no matter what their source, can cause flatulence. However... Since bacteria vary in their ability to digest the various types of fiber, the different sources of it may produce different amounts of gas. To complicate the situation, the ability of bacteria to digest one type can vary from individual to individual. This variability makes the selection of the best type of fiber for each individual more difficult. Different sources of fiber should be tried one by one, and it should be started on a low dose and increased every one to two weeks until either the desired effect is achieved or the gas Fiber doesn't work overnight, folks, so each product should be tried over a few weeks if possible. If you have a lot of gas, the dose can be reduced for a few weeks, and the higher dose can then be tried again after your body becomes adjusted to it a little bit more. It generally is said the amount of gas that is produced by fiber decreases when it is ingested for a prolonged period of time, although this hasn't really been studied that extensively extensively. If gas remains a problem for you and prevents the dose of fiber from being raised to a level that affects the stool satisfactorily, it's time to move on to a different source of fiber. When increasing amounts of fiber are used, though, it's recommended that greater amounts of water be consumed, so lots of water with your fiber intake, folks. In theory, the water prevents hardening of the fiber and blockage, which would be obstruction of the intestine. This seems like a simple and reasonable thing to advise. However, ingesting larger amounts of water has not been shown to have a beneficial effect on constipation with or without the addition of fiber. There's already a lot of water in the intestine and any extra ingested water will be absorbed and excreted in urine. Nevertheless, it's reasonable to drink enough fluids to prevent dehydration that would cause reduced intestinal water. There are reasons not to take fiber or to take specific types of them as well, Due to concerns of obstruction, if individuals have narrowed colons due to strictures or adhesions, which would be scar tissue from surgery, you need to talk to your doctor or healthcare provider before making any of these dietary changes. Some products also have sugar, so individuals with diabetes need to be really careful about that and perhaps select a sugar-free product. There it is. Um, What types of laxatives treat constipation? Obviously, there are lubricant laxatives that contain mineral oil, either as the plain oil or an emulsion, which would be a combination of water and oil. The oil stays within the intestine, coats the particles of stool, and presumably prevents removal of water from the material. The retention of water results in softer stool. Mineral oil generally is used only for the short-term treatment since its long-term use has several potential disadvantages. The oil can absorb fat-soluble vitamins from the intestine and if used for prolonged periods may lead to deficiencies of vitamin. So, interesting, right? This can also be of concern in pregnancy. During this time, an adequate supply of vitamins is important for the fetus. In the very young or very elderly in whom swallowing mechanisms may not be as strong or have been impaired by strokes, small amounts of swallowed oil may enter the lungs and cause pneumonia. Mineral oil can also decrease the absorption of some drugs, like warfarin, and oral contraceptives, which can decrease their effectiveness. Despite potential disadvantages, though, mineral oil can be an effective short-term treatment if needed. Stool softeners are also generally a good bet. These contain a compound called docusate, for example, colase. It's a wetting agent that improves the ability of water within the colon to penetrate and mix with the material in the bowel. This increases water when it softens the stool, although studies have not shown this to be consistently effective in relieving constipation. Stool softeners are also used in long-term management of the condition. It can take about a week or more for these to be effective. The dose should be increased after one or two weeks if no effect is seen. Although these stool softeners are generally safe, it may increase the absorption of mineral oil and some medications from the intestine. Absorbed mineral oil collects in tissues of the body, for example, in lymph nodes and liver, and it can cause inflammation. So you want to be really, really careful about using those. It's not really clear if this inflammation cause has any important consequences, but it's generally felt that prolonged absorption of mineral oil should not be allowed Thus, the use of emollient products is not recommended together with mineral oil or other certain prescription medications. So be careful. You also want to be careful with using laxatives, but other over-the-counter treatments like saline laxatives contain non-absorbable ions such as magnesium, sulfate, phosphate, and citrate, for example, can be used as well. These remain in the colon and cause water to be drawn into the colon. Again, this is to soften the feces Magnesium also can have mild stimulatory effects on the colon muscles. The magnesium in magnesium-containing products is partially absorbed by the intestine and into the body. Magnesium is eliminated from the body by the kidneys. Therefore, patients with impaired kidneys should avoid these if possible because they might impact them negatively. Saline laxatives act within a few hours. In general, potent saline products should not be used on a regular basis. If minor diarrhea develops with the use of saline products and the lost food is not replaced by the consumption of liquids, dehydration can be a problem. The most frequently used and mildest of the saline products is milk of magnesia. Epsom salt is a more potent saline laxative that contains magnesium sulfate. Stimulant laxatives. Folks, you want to be careful with these because they cause the muscles of the small intestine and colon to propel contents more rapidly. They also increase the amount of water in it either by reducing the absorption of water in the colon or by causing active secretion of water in the small intestine. The most common of these is X-lax or Senecot. Stimulant products are very effective, but they can cause severe diarrhea with resulting dehydration and loss of electrolytes, especially potassium. They're also more likely than other types of laxatives to cause internal intestine cramping. There is concern that a chronic use of stimulant laxatives can also damage the colon and worsen constipation. So using that dolcalax or Correctol or any one of those affects the nerves of the colon, which in turn stimulates the muscles of the colon to propel its contents. Prunes also contain a mild stimulant for the colon. Another option would be enemas. There are many different types of them by distending the rectum. All enemas, even the simplest type, including the tap water enema, stimulate the colon to contract and eliminate the material I use enemas personally. I've suffered from constipation for probably about 10 years now. And it started off pretty mildly every couple of days. And then it got to the point where I wasn't going more than once a week. And it was very uncomfortable. And it was pressing on my bladder as well. So I decided to try coffee enemas as an alternative. And I've been using them for about five years now. Um, I tried a lot of other things. I tried the fiber intake, uptake. I tried laxatives of all kinds. I tried stool softeners, milk of magnesia. I tried taking more fiber. I tried drinking more water, getting more exercise, etc., cetera, et cetera, on and on and on. The only thing I didn't try was heavy-duty prescription medications. I know there's a few of them out there now. My doctor did offer those to me, but I declined because they're the sorts of things that you have to take for the rest of your life and it's not like they help fix the problem. They just put a nice convenient little band-aid over the top of them, but um, there are many different types of enemas that you can take. I take a coffee enema, but other types can be helpful too. Water enemas, saline enemas, phosphate enemas, these all stimulate the muscles of the colon. Mineral oil enemas lubricate and soften hard stool. Emollient enemas like colase or micro-enema contain agents that That soften the stool as well. Enemas are particularly useful when there is an impaction where stool hardens in the rectum. In order to be effective though, the instructions that come with the enema must be followed. This requires full application of the enema, appropriate positioning after the enema is instilled, and retention of the enema until cramps are felt, which means when you're giving yourself the enema, you have to take all the liquid into the rectum, which can be uncomfortable for some people, particularly if their colon is really, really full. But it's really important to retain all of that in there until you start to feel cramps. Defecation usually occurs between a few minutes and one hour after the enema is inserted. Usually I fill it pretty quickly for myself. I'll try to retain the liquid for about 10 or 15 minutes and then it usually comes immediately after that. But enemas are meant for occasional rather than regular use. So I want to make that clear. You shouldn't use them all the time. Frequent use of enemas can cause disturbances of fluids and electrolytes in the body. This is especially true of tap water enemas. Soap sud enemas are not recommended because they can seriously damage the rectum. I do enemas twice a week. Now, I have regular bowel movements probably at least twice a week as well. So that would be four minimum bowel movements. But I can usually handle a few days without a movement before it becomes super uncomfortable um Suppositories are also another type of thing that you can use. There are stimulant suppositories like Dilklax. Glycerin suppositories are believed to have their effect by irritating the rectum. The insertion of the finger into the rectum when the suppository is placed may itself stimulate a bowel movement, which is. I've tried those as well. I don't like them as much because they usually, for me, create severe cramping and pain. So, It's also recommended that you might want to combine some different types of laxatives. For example, there are oral products that combine Senna and Stelium and a bunch of different things together. You might want to have a laxative and a stool softener and things that are natural all put together with mineral oil. Who knows? You really have to try different things on your own to figure out what works best for your body. You also want to pay attention to what's convenient and effective and cost effective for you and try to avoid the ones that contain stimulant products. So you also want to be sure that you're not creating a situation within your body where you're going to create permanent colonic damage. And by using any of these products long-term, you might do that. So the more non-stimulant treatment you can use, the better. So I did mention there are also some prescription medications that your doctors can also give you if your constipation is not responsive to over-the-counter things or enemas. You can have amitiza, I think is how you pronounce it. You can get that prescribed to the doctor as well as Linzess. I know that there are quite a few of them out there on the market right now and doctors can prescribe them to you. You could potentially have side effects with these though. And they find that they're moderately, if not completely effective for a lot of people, but they do have side effects of diarrhea and should be avoided in children ages six through 17, according to doctors. But they've provided some useful um, results for quite a few people that have taken them. But again, you're going to have lice, loose stools and diarrhea, and they are potentially something that you need to take long-term. They're not something that's going to fix the issue so that you are cured, so to speak. So some of the other things that doctors are doing that are non-medication related are biofeedback. So most of the muscles of the pelvis surrounding the anus and rectum are under some degree of voluntary control. So biofeedback training can actually teach patients with pelvic floor dysfunction how to make their muscles work more normally and improve their ability to go poo, essentially. During anorectal biofeedback training, a pressure-sensing catheter is placed through the anus and into the rectum. Each time a patient contracts the muscles, the muscles generate a pressure that is sensed by the catheter and recorded on a screen. By watching the pressures on the screen and attempting to modify them, patients learn how to relax and contract the muscles more normally, which sounds really freaky. Like, I can't say that I would be thrilled about doing biofeedback, but they also say that exercise can be very helpful. People who lead sedentary lives are more frequently constipated than people who are active. So there are also limited studies of exercise on bowel habit that have shown that exercise has minimal or no effect on the frequency of how often you go to the bathroom. So exercise can be recommended mostly for other health benefits, but As far as constipation is concerned, you should try it with a host of other things. But on its own, it's not going to be just this huge, you know, effective cure for constipation. But patients who've had surgery also can have constipation. Um, Surgery can be a treatment long term if you've got diseases of the colon or laxative abuse. But it's pretty severe on that end. And you really don't want to have to have surgery if at all possible. It's usually reserved for those who do not respond to all other therapies. And they would cut the end of the small intestine to attach it to the remaining rectum or part of the colon. So it's a pretty hardcore surgery. And you have to be sure there are no diseases in the small intestine muscles before something like that can be done. But again, that is like your last resort So now that we all know what constipation is, some of the signs, symptoms, and things you could do to fix constipation, I think it's kind of important to talk about what some of the long-term impacts of constipation can do to your body, because a lot of people think it's just an inconvenience that will last a short period of time and go away, or if you have it long-term, that it's more discomfort and not an actual real problem to have, but it can actually cause some long-term health and side effects that are not so pleasant Initially, you may feel discomfort, pain, bloating in your stomach, and you may have gas. Doctors also suggest that when you have long term constipation, number one, the impacted fecal matter that is collecting in your colon can press against your bladder and make you feel like you have to go to the bathroom more often, as well as trapping. Toxins and junk in your body that may increase your chances of getting internal infections, such as a bladder infection or some other type of infection. But the National Institutes of Health define constipation as having a bowel movement fewer than three times per week. People with constipation typically report dry, hard, compact stools that are difficult to eliminate. Short term effects of constipation can include bloating, abdominal pain, small amounts of blood or whitish mucus in the stool, and an urgent need to have a bowel movement. Chronic long-term constipation, though, produces these and some other more harmful effects, such as hemorrhoids. The American Society of Colon and Rectal Surgeons calls hemorrhoids varicose veins of the anus and rectum. Pressure from accumulated stool impedes the outflow of blood from the veins in the anus and the rectum, causing them to become abnormally distended, which is... Kind of scary, but straining to produce a bowel movement increases abdominal pressure, which distends veins further and also pushes them outside of the usual location within the tissues. The result can be internal hemorrhoids, external hemorrhoids, or some combination of the two. And according to the American Academy of Family Physicians, internal hemorrhoids usually don't cause pain, but may bleed pretty bad. External hemorrhoids can cause pain, itching, and extreme sensitivity, as well as blood and bleeding as well. The Mayo Clinic explains that chronic constipation may produce cracks around the anus called anal fissures. These fissures result when hard stool stretches and abrades the anal sphincter. People with these fissures complain of pain, itching, and small amounts of bright red blood in their stools or on their underwear, which is kind of scary. In many cases, the fissures become infected, resulting in a collection of pus known as an abscess. This sometimes requires surgical drainage. Yikes. And fissures themselves usually only heal when the constipation is resolved. And then a more severe thing that can happen is rectal prolapse. And rectal prolapse occurs when the rectum becomes so stretched out due to the chronic accumulation of large amounts of stool that it loses the ability to contract to its former size when the stool is actually pushed out and when you go to the bathroom. The loose tissue literally falls out of the body and protrudes through the anus as a small pink mass or bubble. People with rectal prolapse often experience leakage of small amounts of stool and mucus, the sensation of incomplete defecation, itching, pain, and or bleeding. According to the American Society of Colon and Rectal Surgeons, rectal prolapse requires surgical pair for the most part. This is pretty scary. So. You just want to be careful. You don't want to get yourself into a situation where you end up having constipation long term and then try to fix it with things that are not really working. And then you continue to do them and end up with even more severe damage internally and externally as well. So just be careful folks. So if you yourself are experiencing constipation, I would say the first step would be to up your fiber intake and try to do things naturally more water, good amount of, like, exercise that isn't too strenuous on your body. And then I would say go to your stool softeners and maybe some different things that you could supplement in your diet. Higher fiber, those sorts of things in order to try to get things moving naturally on its own. Then I would try, like, an enema if, if all that doesn't work, and then if the enemas don't work, then you definitely want to see your doctor. But I would also say that you want to make sure that if you're experiencing pain or unnatural symptoms, weight loss, any of one of the things that I mentioned earlier, that you're also seeing a doctor because you want to make sure that there's no underlying health condition that is creating your problems, first and foremost. So if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, I would certainly love to hear from you guys on that. I know this is a very, very challenging topic that people try to avoid a lot of the time, it's just not something that comes up in polite conversation. People are very deeply uncomfortable with conversation about constipation, but it is what it is. Everyone poos. Everyone has to go to the bathroom. It's your body's way of expelling you know, toxins and, and different things within your body that you've eaten. And it's really important to our health and well-being long-term to have regular bowel movements. And as much as we don't want to talk about it or, acknowledgement or acknowledge it, it's very important. So... This point in the podcast where we say so long for a while. Please rate, review, and subscribe. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, like I mentioned earlier, shoot me an email. I'm at hypoalmatpodcast at at gmail.com. I love your emails. I promise I will try to get to some of them in the next podcast. And please join us again next week when we talk more about strange medical news, conditions, and treatments, as well as a lot more common ones that people experience on a daily basis. Good night, podcast peeps. Stay healthy, keep it real, and always live your best life.